0: Welcome to Kite Line, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in Indiana's prison system and beyond.
1: Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on Kite Line, we hope to share these words across the prison walls.
0: Before we get started with this week's theme, we want to share some prison-related news. Last week, the Guardian exposed plans by prison administrators in Puerto Rico to send a third of the island's prisoners to the U.S. as a cost-saving measure. Several prisons will be closed if these 3,200 prisoners are successfully moved to private prisons in Arizona, but at the cost of a prohibitive burden for family visits and the likelihood that prisoners will lose access to educational programs. William Ramirez, executive director of the Puerto Rico American Civil Liberties Union, made this statement, quote, This is government-sponsored human trafficking. You're transferring people basically against their will. Even if you say it's consensual, the reality is that you can't provide consent freely if you're a ward of the state because you're not free. And secondly, you're not given the information you need to actually give consent. And finally, it's all being done for profit." Unquote. Administrators appear willfully ignorant of the history of uprisings which have followed past attempts in 1983 and 2012 to move Puerto Rican prisoners to the US mainland, and which have forced these attempts to be abandoned. In fact, prisoners there have already begun proposing an island-wide prison strike to prevent the transfers. According to a spokesman for a prisoner's organization, Quote, we refuse it in its essence. The inmates in every prison in Puerto Rico are against this program. It takes us far away from our families. They'd have to take me by force. Our association, we all believe this, unquote.
2: On August 16th, the civil rights organization Color of Change delivered over 27,000 signatures to Illinois Governor Bruce Rauner urging him to sign House Bill 4469, which ensures that voting rights are protected for people returning to the community from jail or prison, and for people detained in jail before trial. Millions of people are being denied the resources they need to vote in Illinois. There are about 20,000 people detained in jail before trial, but there is no clear process to ensure that they receive ballots to vote while they're in jail. In addition, four million Illinois residents with past felony convictions are eligible to vote, but many of them aren't told they are and don't register to vote because they think they've lost that right. House Bill 4469 would require jails to create a process ensuring that people detained in jail before trial are given ballots and requires the state to give information about voting rights to all people returning to the community.
0: We received this letter from a prisoner in the Pendleton Correctional Facility here in Indiana, dated about a month ago. He writes, Kite Line Radio, I'm writing to you today because we are on lockdown over a person killing a person that tried to kill him some time ago and the prison just put them in the same cell house that was on classification and the help of an officer letting one of them go to the other side when the side he was on was supposed to be locked down for line movement. There's no more to be said. This is what the facility is not going to tell about the killing of a prisoner.
3: Prison Legal News reported that Alabama's prison homicide rate is the nation's highest and is on the increase. Alabama also has the highest prison suicide rate. According to prison officials, overcrowding and understaffing are the root causes. In Alabama, the number of prison murders is over 30 per 100,000. And the number of suicides is 37 per 100,000. The homicide rate is six times the national average and twice that of the next highest state. The suicide rate is over twice the national one. Alabama's prisons function at 172% of capacity. Meanwhile, the prison system has seen a 20% decrease in the number of guards employed. The Alabama Department of Corrections answer is to build larger prisons. The small communities where current prisons are located to be replaced by larger facilities, have opposed the plan. Alabama's most dangerous prison is the Elmore Correctional Facility. Three homicides occurred there in a 24-hour period in February, 2017.
0: We have just received word that a hunger strike has broken out at the Sterling facility in Colorado. We'll release more information as it comes in.
2: A new report by the Prison Policy Initiative provides the first estimate of homelessness among the 5 million formerly incarcerated people living in the U.S. The report finds that formerly incarcerated people are nearly 10 times more likely to be homeless than the general public. Homelessness is particularly high in people who have been incarcerated more than once, people who have been recently released from prison, people of color, and women. People who have been incarcerated multiple times are twice as likely to be homeless as those returning to society from their 1st prison term. People who have been in prison only once experience homelessness at almost seven times the rate of the general public. Those who have been incarcerated more than once have rates 13 times higher than those of the general public. Overall, formerly incarcerated women are more likely to be homeless than formerly incarcerated men.
0: On August 10th, Joseph Dippy was arraigned in Oregon after being arrested by the Cuban authorities and turned over to the FBI in an unprecedented political extradition. Dippy has been sought by U.S. authorities since 2005, due to his alleged participation in eco-sabotage actions taken by the Earth Liberation Front. He disappeared during the infamous Operation Backfire roundups of environmental activists, and his whereabouts were unknown until now. The collaboration of Cuban authorities in his arrest and the extradition raises new concerns about the safety of Assata Shakur, the highest profile American revolutionary and fugitive to be granted asylum in Cuba. While there have been many assurances that Asada will not be extradited by Cuba to the US as a result of diplomatic normalization between the two countries, Dibi's arrest signals a new willingness by Cuban authorities to turn over political fugitives. It is likely that a smooth prosecution of Dibby will set an ominous precedent for Asada and others, but that a strong defense campaign for Dibby might raise the political costs for future extradition attempts.
3: We have an update about prisoner Michael Kimball, whose supporters write, quote, Just received a letter from Michael. He had dated it two weeks prior to the postmark. So apparently guards are interfering with his mail. Other people in his support network have reported not getting mail that he's mentioned sending. Michael states that he was beaten by CERT, C-E-R-T, the riot squad, and has been in lockup since July 19. He sustained cracked ribs and a lot of bruises. I contacted the prison yesterday and they stated that he's still in lockup as of August 15, and they wouldn't state why or when he was scheduled to be released. Lockup is solitary confinement. Michael also said that when you were put in lockup, you were supposed to be given a notice as to why within 72 hours and released. And then, if you are being charged with an infraction, you're supposed to be seen on it within 10 days. Michael said this process has not happened and his due process rights have been violated. When we were first told that Michael was in lockup, we asked people to call the prison and ask about his status and demand his release. And people reported being either put on hold indefinitely, never getting through, or being told that Michael was not in lockup. We were told yesterday by a guard that he was in lockup, although the guard wouldn't say why or for how much longer. Assuming that he is still there today, that means he's been in solitary confinement for 29 days." Unquote. Supporters can call Holman Prison at area code 251 368-8173 That's 251-368-8173 They can also call the commissioner's office at area code 334-353-3870 Once again 334-353-3870 and ask that Michael be released from solitary and have his due process rights.
4: As we approach the national prison strike, which kicks off next Tuesday, we wanted to share the demands of the strike as laid out by jailhouse lawyers speak. They write, these are the national demands of the men and women in federal immigration and state prisons 1 immediate improvements to the conditions of prisons and prison policies that recognize the humanity of imprisoned men and women Two, an immediate end to prison slavery all persons imprisoned in any place of detention under United States jurisdiction must be paid the prevailing wage in their state or territory for their labor 3. The Prison Litigation Reform Act must be rescinded, allowing imprisoned humans a proper channel to address grievances and violations of their rights. 4. The Truth in Sentencing Act and the Sentencing Reform Act must be rescinded so that imprisoned humans have the possibility of rehabilitation and parole. No human shall be sentenced to death by incarceration or serve any sentence without the possibility of parole 5 an immediate end to the racial overcharging oversentencing, and parole denials of black and brown humans black humans shall no longer be denied parole because the victim of the crime was white which is a particular problem in southern states 6 an immediate end to racist gang enhancement laws targeting black and brown humans. 7. No imprisoned human shall be denied access to rehabilitation programs at their place of detention because of their label as a violent offender. 8. State prisons must be funded specifically to offer more rehabilitation services. 9. Pell grants must be reinstated to all U.S. states and territories. 10. The voting rights of all confined citizens serving prison sentences, pretrial detainees, and so-called ex-felons must be counted. Representation is demanded. All voices count. We all agree to spread this strike throughout the prisons of America from August 21st to September 9th 2018, men and women in prisons across the nation will strike in the following manner. First, work strikes. Prisoners will not report to assigned jobs. Each place of detention will determine how long its strike will last. Some of these strikes may translate into a local list of demands designed to improve conditions and reduce harm within the prison. Second, sit-ins. In certain prisons, men and women will engage in peaceful sit-in protests. 3. Boycotts. All spending should be halted. We ask those outside the walls not to make financial judgments for those inside. Men and women in the inside will inform you if they are participating in this boycott. We support the call of the Free Alabama Movement campaign to redistribute the pain, 2018. Fourth, hunger strikes. Men and women shall refuse to eat. How you can help. Make the nation take a look at our demands. Demand action on our demands by contacting your local, state, and federal political representatives with these demands. Ask them where they stand. Spread the strike and word of the strike in every place of detention contact a supporting local organization to see how you can be supportive if you're unsure of who to contact email millions for prisoners March at gmail.com be prepared by making contact with people in prison family members of prisoners and prisoner support organizations in your state to assist in notifying the public and media on strike conditions assist in our announced initiatives to have the votes of people in jail and prison counted in elections. For the media, inquiries should be directed to prisonstrikemedia at gmail.com.
0: And now, we share a statement from Red Wolf, who spoke to us from Cook County Jail in Chicago about the upcoming strike. From what we hear yesterday morning, he was transferred to the Lawrence Correctional Center in Sumner, Illinois. Red Wolf was featured on Kite Line last March in episode 82 and now shares with us this statement on the strike.
1: There are places where this day has been well organized. Hunger strikes, confusions, and uprisings will surely take place. But a spark has truly been ignited and the walls and steel will act as of to the fire needed to bring about real resistance. But what becomes of, them, of those places where it hasn't been ignited? But this day will be just another day, like the one before, the day after, Whether everyday activities of the prison recreates the very prison in which they are being held captive. But those radical words, such as resistance, revolution, and revolt, are rarely, if ever said. When anarchism isn't a conceptualized idea. What were these captives do? In order for our efforts to mean anything, we have to make noise, both sides of the bar. But one can't help but to hear our fight across every border barbed wire and barricade created some up for us. But a piece of timber could be carried in the wind and create a wildfire. But wildfires are natural, aren't they? You out of prison comrades must be that man, not just in thought, but verbal solidarity for deeds. I fear Western anarchism has deviated from the idea of no rulers into academic debating and military activists bargaining with the very beast that kills us. I live with radicals. In this environment, either you're a radical or a slave. One can't help but to be radically opposed to their captivity. So what about you out there? We appreciate the genes, the letters, and the safe support you provide. But honestly, a slave needs more than reading materials to attain liberation. My only question is, do you think any of this is one of top of the system. Are you ready for revolution? Or do you want full ops to ride form? Because we are ready for revolution. White elephant claws and all. Because we rather die in resistance than live in subjugation. We need you. We need all the energy, unconventionality, resistance, love, solidarity, complicity, and complicity brain. So on this day, we ask you out-of-prison comrades who are forced to be spectators for this event. Why not partake in the joy with us? Steal something. Find something, act something, because we are pushing with all our might that we can in our cups and shoppers. And through all this, please don't forget, your hands are free to meet us that way. I send my love, respect, and solidarity to all Catholics, especially to Y17.
0: And we finish out this week's episode with a small part of a panel on prisoner resistance, past and present, that took place last week in Milwaukee as another facet to the lead-in to the prisoner strike next week.
5: In December of 2010, this is the largest prison strike in history prior to this. More than six facilities participated, that's thousands of prisoners who refused to work, and that's a crisis for the prison system. When prisoners aren't working, prisons can't run, the so prisons depend on. the the labor of the people on the inside. It was started off by a diverse group of leaders, so white guys, black guys, brown guys, everybody working together, um, communicating with each other and um, kind of coordinating to pull this off. Their demands were really basic stuff, very similar to the demands that Reggie put up on here. Wages, education, healthcare, end of cruel punishments, improved living conditions, adequate meals, all the really basic stuff. Um, and the Georgia DOC responded by saying that this was uh, that they heard rumors of a lot of a riot, and that's why they locked the facilities down. And the prisoners said, "No, you didn't lock us down. We locked ourselves down. This is our action. We did this. This is a sit down strike, not a riot that you're trying to." Enjoy. <coughs> um, other uh, responses from the DOC was uh, inmate or staff attacked uh, prisoners. Calvin Stevenson and Miguel Jackson were beaten and taken off uh, block, and uh, other people who witnessed this said that they looked like they were dead. Their family was not informed for days about their whereabouts, or what had happened to them. Um, days later, they were found that they were in the hospital, and that they had survived. Um, outside support for this was really important. Bruce Dixon at the Black Agenda Report, who's a, a journalist, a reporter, um, broke the story and really kept pushing it, and. Um, did a lot of the awareness so that we knew what was actually going on uh, as this was happening. Elaine Brown, who's a former chairperson of the Black Panther Party, um, Pastor Kenny Glasgow from the Ordinary People's Society, mm-hmm. the Green Party, and other groups on the outside came together to work on this. Um, the biggest success that they had was uh, they filed a lawsuit and they finally got the state to actually admit to what happened to Kelvin and go. But they released a video and in the video, um, it showed the officers beating them with hammers. And they were um, beaten mercilessly. And it's really hard to tell on the video, but there's actually a person holding the camera who says, what is that? Is that? That's a hammer. Oh my god. So they sued the DOC. The long-term effect of this prison strike was that Georgia changed and rearranged how they do their prisons. Uh, they instituted a tier system where they could uh, isolate the leaders and keep them from being able to coordinate and organized strikes like this again. Um, there's been a lot of prison resistance since 2010, and Georgia has not been a part of it because that system has worked to prevent them from being able to organize. Miguel and Kelvin and other leaders are still in solitary now. They've staged multiple hunger strikes from inside solitary, um, and that, against that tier system, haven't been able to win anything. Um, but the good thing that came out of the strike is that it inspired lots of other people. I got involved in this because a month after this happened, those prisoners from the Lucasville Uprising, Jason Raab, Sidi uh, Abdul Hassan, uh, Omani Shakur, went on a hunger strike. And they lasted 13 days and they won. So the combination of this terrible thing that happened and them winning that hunger strike has been an inspiration to many prisoners in prosecutors. Um, later that year, in the summer, we got to the second example I want to go to, which is the California Hunger Strikes. Um, that started with the Short Corridor Collective in the Pelican Bay uh, Secure Housing Unit. These are people who are, again, in solitary confinement. And one of them had been in solitary for 40 years. Um, yeah, protesting. Uh, they get together, and they are these are people who are kind of labeled the worst of the worst. They're the gang leaders in California, and in California, the prison systems very much run by the gangs. Uh, there's different uh, racial factions and gangs. And they came across those differences to work together, just like in Georgia, just like the part, And they organized a hunger strike. In July of 2011, 6,000 people participated in that hunger strike. It was a rolling hunger strike, so people could, could go on for a week and then come off and, and participate in and that way. Other people started the hunger strike on the 4th of July and stayed on through the duration of it. Uh, California promised to make all these changes, and so they suspended the hunger strike to see if California would go through and make those changes, which they didn't. Um, And so they had to go back on hunger strike again. It took a few years of playing that kind of cat and mouse game with the administrations. Uh, But in 2013, they went back on hunger strike in earnest, uh, again in July, and this time 30,000 prisoners participated. This is the largest uh, protest inside prisons in the history of that time. Uh, a few thousand also engaged in a work stoppage, which, like in Georgia, really shuts the prisons down. Uh, this caused spin-off hunger strikes in other states. Lots of people were participating all over the place. Uh, their focus and demands were on solitary confinement, changing the conditions, ending long-term or indefinite solitary confinement, and the gang classification system. Uh, it's really convoluted, but the things that they could do to prisoners uh, if they you know, had any suspicion that you were involved in a gang. And another really great thing that came out of the California Hunger Strike right, is the agreement to end hostilities. Like I said, these are different rival factions who were organizing and coordinating this. So they wrote out the agreement to end hostilities, um, which called for uh, truce among prisoners, uh, which lasted for, for years, um, and also was picked up by youth on the street. And so, this is a way in which we you know, saw people stopping fighting amongst each other and instead fighting for their liberation. Uh, in response, the CDCR uh, did, like I said, delays, false promises, and did everything they could to kind of hold things up. And they also like, harassed and targeted people. Um, hunger strikers were treated incredibly poorly. Um, one hunger striker, death, uh, where Guerrero Cell, uh, died while on hunger strike. And it was ruled a suicide, um, but the, the prisoners reviewed that and said that if it was a suicide, it was because he was driven to it by the way they brought to the treatments. Um, after 42 days on hunger strike, California secure got a judge to sign an order saying that they could start force-gating people. And that's when they ended the hunger strike and instead focused on the lawsuit. Because force feeding is that excruciating and painful, um, it's really difficult, and it's really dangerous, So the risks to someone's life when you're uh, getting by Um, While they were working on the lawsuit, the guards started a new project uh, where they would do wellness checks on prisoners. So they would go through the block every 30 minutes. Um, So they'd open those loud steel doors, walk through the block, shine lights on people, you know, talking, making all this noise every 30 minutes. And they would do that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for a long time, so nobody could sleep. Um, The support for the California hunger strike was massive. Uh, there were, it was mostly based out of a way where there's a culture of resistance and a culture of support for um, people who are fighting back and acceptance of all different kinds of people. It was led by the prisoners. All the documents that came out were signed by the short court of collective and other prisoners. And their families were also really central uh, to all of the organizing. And there was, but there was enough support for those family members to actually be effective and able to put out lots of videos and organize lots of protests. And eventually the prisoners convinced the Center for Constitutional Rights to file a lawsuit, uh, and that lawsuit won. And the, the CDCR was forced to release thousands of prisoners from solitary confinement. So it was a huge, amazing victory. But, much every victory, we need to protect it. Uh, Victoria Law, who's another abolitionist and a really great uh, thinker, um, <laughs> with some people know. Um, she wrote a really great article in Solitary Watch um, about how Those prisoner leaders are all back in solitary after only 15 months. Um, And hundreds of others on a new pretense. So they got rid of the game classification system and they just came up with another system to put people in long term solitary. Um, And another tragic thing is that the agreement to end hostilities ended. It was undermined when guards worked with the Aryan Brotherhood to put a hit on and kill Hugo Purnell, who was a comrade of George Jackson back in the day. Um, That happened on. August 12th, 2015, so three years ago today, Weston Park, uh, Which brings us to the next thing I want to look at, the third event, is the Free Alabama Movement. This is when prisoners, uh, Melvin Ray, uh, Kinetic Justice, and Dati Khalid, who were inspired and mentored by Black Panthers like Sekou Kambui and other prisoners from uh, the old struggles. Um, started organizing in Alabama prisons. They did a number of uh, hunger strikes and group protests and then they staged a work stoppage in January of 2014, where they shut down two facilities and they lasted for over two weeks uh, on that work stoppage, which was a huge problem for the prisons. Uh, When they did that, they also released dozens of videos to a YouTube channel showing the conditions in the prisons, showing the kind of food that they're eating, showing the the roaches and the rats and uh, the way that they're treated and everything like that. And this, by being their own media, using contraband cell phones, they really galvanized a lot of attention and had a a very successful action.
0: This has been KiteLine. Anyone can reach us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, we also encourage your feedback. You can email us at, at wfhb.org. Are you or someone you care about affected by the prison system? You can call us to tell your story or to record a message to a loved one behind bars at 812-269-2512. You can support our efforts and the prisoners we connect with through our Patreon Patreon.com forward slash radio. Line is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. WFHB, its contributors, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions shared on the show. Please join us every Friday at 5.30pm for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our community. Thank you for listening.